mentally knowing that like a medal is slipping away from you and you literally can't move your legs any faster it's just like the worst thing in the world OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB sports app OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar you know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head at performances which just lacked that intensity. So every Sunday evening we ask you for your suggestions on our Instagram stories and um, the opportunity is there for you to win a Gillette Labs starter pack. Uh, and uh, if you agree or disagree with Dan's selection, that doesn't really matter. You'll go in the draw either way. Dan, where are we going? I think we're going to start with Chelsea in the red, I think. Um, I mean, like it was in terms of the Premier League weekend, there was some... There was some good stuff, like you know, the Newcastle Man City game was excellent yesterday, but uh, and maybe maybe just Manchester United are lucky they didn't they don't play till Monday night because otherwise they're just going to belong in this sort of red across the season. You know, this is a, it gives them a little bit of a break. This is their customary spot. Yeah, so they they've stepped aside for TV purposes and they've let Chelsea slip in there. But um, yeah, I mean Chelsea were pretty good against Spurs last week. Really, when you consider the. The uh, probably the pre-match chat about the I suppose the the power ranking almost it felt like sort of Spurs are like trending up and and Chelsea maybe not then they were excellent they should have won and then concede like a bad goal bad goal I know there was controversy around sort of various aspects of it um, but then they go to Leeds and and get done three 0 and in such a way that like you're looking at some of the commentary after and chatting to people you know who are sort of big into Chelsea and they're sort of wondering. Is this team potentially a little bit, I don't know, mentally fragile or a bit soft? Um, I think Leeds outran them considerably as well. And they were missing Kante and there's a couple of sort of elements of uh, Kovacic. Like there's elements of mitigation there, but um looks like they sort of got it outworked and got done. Koulibaly sent off. And it's just one of those worrying ones where you do have like a great buzz around Arsenal and Spurs, okay, winning games without being... Uh, tremendous or picking up points where I've been tremendous um, but Chelsea had a bit of a sort of a weird sort of summer everything's still happening late they're still trying to sign for Fana now and various things but you'd be a little bit you know a little bit worried about them now none of the teams who win leagues tend sorry most of the teams who win leagues tend not to have these uh, where you throw in a 3-0 defeat at a team like Leeds and where it comes in the situation that you collapse because of errors you know mm-hmm. if there's errors like or if there's a mistake or something happens, then you roar back into the game because you're title contenders. It's very early and we're not overreacting. You know, as you said, the Spurs game, they played really well. But, um, like, I, 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 I thought they were going to be really good this season. Yeah, I, I think there seems to be this question about leadership and, like, what do they, what do they have? Like, Mikula Bali was a big sign and he gets, you know, he sent off. Like, you know, was Rudiger, like, a big part of their... Uh, maybe not everyone's cup of tea, but like, are they missing a certain steal or something? Like, I mean, as you say, you can't really mention it without sort of the, the Mendy mistake, which sort of um, gave Leeds a, a 1 0 head start, but then they conceded straight away or almost straight away afterwards. And that's the thing. Like, you look at, you know, you look at other teams like Liverpool with sort of 10 men, they still come back and get a draw. You know, the City won yesterday where they're maybe not at it, but yet they could still have won that game against the sort of a. You know Newcastle are better than Leeds, you know, and they 
the city can still win it. And like Chelsea, they okay, they, seems like a couple of things. I mean, Tuchel was on about the travel was complicated or something. They had some issues with the travel that the, the I mean, you know, are they not allowed to pay for it anymore? I mean, yeah, all that's, that's, all that's I, gone. All their excuses yeah, are gone, right? Like, I mean, I, I, they seem to get something wrong on the travel end of things anyway, um, or some issue happened. That the, I think the players and the staff had to travel separately or something. I mean, they weren't going to Leeds, like they weren't going to sort of North Macedonia. But um, it, it, I don't know. It's just like it's just sometimes you look at a team and you think, yeah, there'd be worrying signs and how they lost a game. Like as you said, like you you will lose games, but it's how you lose them. And um, they seem to lose it in a way that would sort of raise a little bit of questions. Um, early stage of the season, all those caveats apply, but still. Um, a little bit alarming. Uh, Kante's on his hamstring and he's also 31. So, like, he might not be available for 36, 37 league games this year. So you're going to have to deal with situations where you somehow make up for that. And maybe they just don't have the players at the moment. And maybe that's why they've been linked with a load of extra players. And the, the window isn't done, as we know. And their owner seems to be very keen on, on shopping as much as he possibly can and telling everybody he exists. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, that's the whole point, I guess, about being rich, you know. Well, that's, I mean, and, and this is it. I mean, it's, it's almost like some things never happened at Chelsea. Like it's back to, you know, it's just uh, Bowley sitting in the same seat almost as Abramovich. And it's like it's a, a different, different character. It's like, it's, it's, like a, it's, a, it's a new series of a box set or something where they've sort of they've injected a bit of life into the Chelsea thing here. Um, when it looked maybe a little bit more grave in terms of where they were a couple of months ago. But it's a bit like the Manchester United thing at the moment. If you're running around at the end of the window trying to get a lot of things done, it's rarely a picture of health. I know it's sort of exciting you know, for, for fans in some ways because there's, there's all these possibilities and names and stuff, but it's rarely a sign these days that sort of things are going especially smoothly or especially well. It doesn't really paint to like a... A good season. Are we seeing the clubs you're expecting to have a decent season this year being linked with sort of multiple names or, or going all around the, the houses at this stage? No. Not really, no. I did think that um, that the end of the Spurs-Chelsea game was like a, an important moment for Thomas Tuchel where we kind of saw a bit more of his personality and who he was, but maybe I got that completely wrong and maybe his team were looking at that going, oh, just sit down. Just sit down. What mm. are you doing? What are you doing? We know what you're like. Because the response from them has been to throw one in at at Leeds. Like, you know, Leeds is obviously very intimidating, great atmosphere. It's great to see them back in the way they were. The, the stadium looked absolutely sensational, completely rocking yesterday. And they've got a very different style of play. And they've got a really interestingly put together group of players. And I don't know if, I don't know if like, uh, I don't know what's going to happen at Leeds. So, like, maybe they're better than what we're saying either. Like, maybe we're being disrespectful. In, or in some ways, we're underplaying. Uh, the Leeds contribution to it, and I'd be pretty happy for Jesse Marsh in some ways. But I know what you're saying about Tuchel. Like, I mean, he's sort of um, people always have this Chelsea shelf life in their heads. You know that, that there's always a there's this sort of cycle of like there's an early peak and then over time. And that was maybe an Abramovich era thing people had in their mind. But maybe I don't know like, if it's in the DNA of the club. Well, he's an intense character, right? So maybe like maybe again like. I don't know. Like he, he maybe he's just bringing in some players that he that he he wants to sort of mold the team and his personality. But there's always that slight danger. It is a club that has a history of uh, people getting sick of the manager's voice very quickly as well, too. All the way back to Hullet and Hoddle and that era. Like it actually predates Abramovich if you think about it. It's just that they got success when Abramovich was there. So we'll see. We'll see exactly what happens and whether or not they sign any more players. But um, so they are definitely in the red. Also in the red is a Belarusian referee. 
Yeah, so so Shelburne were knocked out of the Women's Champions League yesterday. The uh, They're in the playoff round because they had the good win during the week and then they were playing the Icelandic side yesterday, Valor. And they lost 3-0 and I suppose it's one of those things you see the result on paper, a 3-0 scoreline and you think, well, I mean, it's like I think for the Women's National League teams, I mean, they're effectively, not effectively, but they are amateur trying to c- compete at a sort of a decent level, it's always going to be hard for them. And you sort of think, yeah, they've, they've met their match there. But then you sort of read some of the reports afterwards. You saw that there was a Shelburne player sent off after the final whistle, Amanda Budden. You saw there was six yellow cards to Shells and zero to the opponent. And you're kind of wondering, is there a little bit of a backstory here? And, and the, uh, the FAI sent out their like, official report I think goes through the official channels and there's, there's no real mention of the officiating there because you can't like it has to be very um, straight down the line but there was this thread then that was put up on Twitter last night by a user Evan H I think and he, he posted it out of like a because this game was available to watch on a stream and a, a series of clipped decisions during the game which helped to explain why Shell's players weren't shaking hands with the officials at full time and they wouldn't be, I don't think they'd be regarded as a team as say for like petulant sort of over the top behaviour in such a way. And you're always conscious of like green tinted glasses coming to this. And I mean, they did lose 3 0. It wasn't 1 0 with a sort of a 93rd minute offside goal or something. Um, but it's out there. And there did seem to be a series of very questionable decisions went against them during the game from the Belarusian official. I see some of the players tweeting about it afterwards. Again, I don't think that would be standard behaviour from them, that it did seem to be a particularly eye-openingly bad display, including like a penalty shout that led to one of the goals at the other end, um, a couple of very dodgy offside calls for a one-on-one situation. And it does seem like things could have been different um, if they got a little bit more, I don't know, a little bit more rubber to green from the officials. People talk about this look at the Irish thing, right? You know, it doesn't always extend to our, our sports teams. I think when it's it ironic, there. right? I mean, I'd like to think it's ironic. I know, I mean, um, I, like, is it not Is it not because we never got luck? Is that, I mean... Is that, is that the origin of it? I yeah. don't know. I, Someone I needs to tell Americans, like when Shane Larry wins a tournament or something by six shots and it's like, look of the Irish or whatever. So, well, but That's uh, like lucky leprechaun nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but remember the one years ago where he, I think it was at Firestone, where he did get a ridiculously lucky bounce on the 18th and he did get a bit of luck and then it was caught, well, there you go. There's that famed look of the Irish that they speak about yeah. coming to the fore again. But it does seem like shells, without sort of making it into this classic hometown, uh, it's a disgrace what happened here. Because th- there was a thread post up of decisions, and one or two of them, I was like, eh, maybe not that bad. But there was enough of a body of evidence there to suggest that they were rightly... Uh, He's got about 15 clips. Yeah, there's a lot of clips. <laughs> it's like- you know, it's like you sort of... Uh, if you're bringing that PowerPoint presentation to the table on the basis of two or three, you're like, eh... It's a bit weak. And as I said, within them, there's isolated ones that maybe weren't that bad. But the collective, the collective looks pretty, uh, yeah, pretty poor. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully, um, you know, hopefully there's an investigation into what the hell happened and uh, everybody gets some uh, whatever truth. Truth. You know, it's difficult yeah. sometimes to talk about these things and what you think might have happened or what might be going on. And um, we'll just leave it there. But I've I've retweeted that if you want to get onto Twitter. And have a look and make up your own mind about whether or not uh, shells were given a fair crack of the whip last night. Um, so uh, that is our last one in red. Belarusian referee. The PGA Tour 
is in amber here. Um, speaking of the look of the Irish, so Shane Larry almost made the final 30 for the, yeah. the final uh, week of the, the money fight that they have at the end of the season. But um, Adam Scott got up and down from a greenside bunker to, um, I think he finished 31st in the list. And so he's not going to make it for next week now. No, I mean, there's one or two injury doubts, but I don't know if they can, if he can get in, if like Zalatoris or, or Cameron Smith or someone pulls out. I'm not sure if that's the case, but yeah, Scott got an amazing up and down at the at the last. He was in two bunkers on the hole and he managed to, oh no, he was standing in a bunker for a second shot and Larry sort of went sitting there waiting to go through. But like, I don't know, the end of the PGA, PGA Tour is a bit like, it's a bit of a money grab in a way. Like they have this sort of convoluted format where the top 30 they go to the Tour Championship next week and I think it's like uh, Cantlay is like the or the Sheffler, sorry, who leads like he starts off at 10 under on Thursday like and the field goes down to even money so like it's, it, you start from your position or whatever but I put PJ Tour in the amber because again it was like another decent tournament at the weekend sort of you know good leaderboard Cantlay um, Scheffler Xander Schoffler you know a few other names you mentioned there like they're all decent enough names and you can't help but avoid like this live golf thing, which is in the air all the time. And the tournament last week was preceded by this big players meeting where Tiger Woods flew in and it was like some of the sort of the big dogs in the PGA Tour got together to say, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this threat that apparently there's seven more players about to go? All the, all the sources who've been right about stuff before are now suggesting there's going to be like seven more departures after the the tour championship next week. I think Cameron Smith's assumed to be in it, and Leishman, and, and there's a little bit of guessing going on around some of the others. Um, but the PGA Tour's response, like, is to it, it does appear from the sort of briefing coming out from the weekend, is that they're going to introduce uh, a little bit more of a tighter calendar, but including a large number of smaller field no cut events for their top players, which to me. Is leaves yourself open to like a small bit of grief when you consider that part of the, like the the argument for you know the traditionalist almost argument against live was these non-competitive no-cut events. You know, you're taking away some of the the competitive edge um, or some of the traditional edge from golf, the the thrill of making the cut or whatever, to create smaller exclusive tournaments which, again, is going to keep a certain degree of power in the hands of a few. And they are going to throw more money out, to, I think, to the lesser players. Like, I think everyone is going to get maybe upfront money at the start of the year that their, some of their prize money is deducted from. But that's a little bit of a... <laughs> some of the live contracts, they seem to be that way structured as well for the lower players. You get your upfront money and your prize money is deducted from it. So I'm just not so sure like about this... Um, this broader PGA Tour strategy in this sort of fight that's that's ongoing, that whether this is going to... I don't know how this one's going to play itself out. I, they're going to do a deal at some point. That's what's going to happen. Do you think? I do. I think that it's inevitable that they're going to do a deal at some point because too much money for both of them to actually coexist. Like, at some point, the PGA Tour will have less money than Liv because Liv have endless money. Like, that's the way it's going to work, Right. They've decided that sports washing really, really works. The fights on Saturday night, the uh, the Newcastle game at the weekend, that was an absolutely sensational game of football, right? Mm. Like, with some of the best thing we've ever seen. And it's two sport, sports washing. Like, and everybody's forgotten about the original reason that Man City are now owned by who they're owned by. And ultimately, 
um, reading the New York Times during the week, like Saudi Arabia are no longer a prize state. I mean, it was 18 months ago that they were a prize state and then Joe Biden's fist pumping them and they need their oil and everybody loves Saudi Arabia. And they're like, oh, it's very progressive. Like, women can do some stuff that women can do in other countries. Ignore, have to use Twitter, maybe, you ig- know. Ignore the beheadings and the yeah. Twitter stuff. And like, they own a bit of Twitter, you know? <laughs> yeah, look, and they're doing stuff, I mean, they're doing stuff with the ladies' European tour and the LPGA, which isn't as contentious, but I'm still not so sure about the compromise. I mean, I totally take what you're saying there about the the sort of the Saudi status and, and, and the hypocrisy that can accompany some of the, the live outrage. But in saying that, the live strategy seems to be about a takeover. And this idea that they desire compromise, a lot of people question that. Like they question the extent to which now, like some of the stuff that the, the PGA Tour are doing here as well, they're on about uh, changing its non-profit status and effectively giving some of the players a form of equity like in the tour, including Tiger Woods. And there's a suggestion is there's some Tiger power play going on here that all of a sudden Tiger comes in, not so much as sort of the, the, the saviour of golf, but also someone who ends up owning half of the property afterwards you know and and players will almost end up with a sort of a this removing some of this sort of a some of this uh i don't know the bureaucratic obstacles that were there before some of the paperwork obstacles that are before can now let a sort of a cabal of the better pga tour players make a load more which sadly in a way backs up part of phil phil mickelson's outrage that you know the players weren't getting enough out of it even if that was I mean, analyzing Mickelson's uh, motivations will take it down a completely different path. Um, but it just strikes me that the PGA Tour has had a bit of a revival, like the great Sunday events. Like, I love watching the particular the Sunday nights. And part of it has been the PGA Tour is where you sell the dream a bit, that you'll have this week where, you know, you'll have the big names up there, but you'll have some unheralded sort of ranked sort of one, two, five, or even lower guy shooting for it. And if you introduce all these exclusive sort of no-cut events, you'd imagine they're going to want the bigger players to play in that, and they're maybe less likely to play in some of the other events where yeah. they rub shoulders with the... Or the, could, sort of, or could miss the cut, yeah. Yeah, and, and that to me is in danger of... Um, I don't know. I, I, I'd be a little... It's a, I'm popping them into amber there because I'm not so sure. I think they were, they were probably winning a degree of the... The PR battle, and I, I felt anyway in many ways, and, and some of this stuff now is sort of maybe you're right, maybe it does come to compromise, but I'm still not sure if Liv really want that. I don't know if the compromise means that uh, the two tours merge. I actually don't think that's the the end compromise, which I probably did at the start. But now I think that like the compromise would be we can share these players for a certain number of events, but you'll be a nominated Live player and you'll be a nominated PGA Tour player, and that mm-hmm. they'll coexist so that the big weeks of Live won't be the big weeks of the PGA Tour because ultimately the amount of money that they need to generate from the TV companies and the, the, the money that they need to generate from sponsors and then ticket sales and all that kind of stuff is stuff that is going to give them um, profitability into the future and if if the PGA Tour ends up being owned by Tiger and Rory and a bunch of the players then it's going to be in their interest to do a deal to make sure that the best players that Cameron Smith can play in the, at least the four majors and enough events to on loan from live like it's it, there's probably a very easy way to do that you know yeah i don't know i just feel like it's got pretty rancorous though in some ways that i just don't i just don't know there's a feeling that after the again and like, there's a feeling that after this next exodus that's coming of whoever is in it the sort of five or seven players that they're not expecting a huge amount more it feels like they've maybe reached their and, and i mean the live thing is like 48 golfers as well so there's not they're not there's not a scope for them to sort of find that much more 
I'm not so sure. Like some of that court case was very interesting recently. I, I, I totally see why people are saying, and it's, it's almost an element of experience that says they're going to come to the table here and, and it's, it's going to be a compromise. But I'm not sure. It's got quite personal. I'm not sure if that compromise happens with Greg Norman there. Maybe it's that he gets thrown overboard at some stage and that's part of the compromise, but I don't see it in the short term. Maybe maybe over the longer term. In America, they seem to be able to put their uh, differences aside in the name of money. It's <laughs> yeah. just, like A lot of those court cases are very rancorous yeah. until a deal is done and everybody's standing in the court case and the court says, yes, I mean, yeah. it's just, that was all false. But I don't know, these live guys, are, are, can they just assimilate back into the field like when there's some depth of feeling towards like I Sergio maybe, maybe it'd be terrific to watch like yeah. it could be actually fascinating uh, to watch the simulation but I kind of wonder if it's too far gone for that I wonder yeah. do the uh, makers of the um, golf documentary series on Netflix do they also need to make a, a simultaneous one with the live people so that it's not just the PGA Tour that it's actually live and PGA Tour yeah. we get to see what the truth is being said and we need to figure, we need to figure that the Saudis better not have a stake in that Netflix series I mean, the, whole, that, the whole thing is thrown then if that, you, you wouldn't be case. terribly surprised that I'd probably, probably got 5% uh, Irish athletics are in the green after a sensational week really like uh, every night there was something worth watching and every night we were generally performing either uh, PBs or season's best or meddling it was, it was, it was incredible it was. And to me, like, again, as someone who's like, you know, like a lot of people, you sort of dip into it around the major tournaments. And it, it feels like with the Irish uh, athletics team, it's mainly like the Olympics, of course, the people dip in, they maybe find it hard to, to meddle or, or to be competitive. And then there's a knee jerk. Oh, this is terrible. And yet you see across the last week that the level they're performing at is incredibly high. Um, you know, the, the, I mean, Mark English last night sort of winning a medal when, when it wasn't necessarily something that was being talked about hugely across the day. You know, it wasn't as if there was a massive build-up. It was almost like this is a, a, almost a bonus that was sort of slipping under the radar at the last minute. And you've had all these performances across the week, which again, I see Carl Dennehy writing in the, uh, in the Independent Today in our paper again about sort of sending a message to, to Jack Chambers off the back of this that, again, like a lot of these athletes, um, they've been funded to various degrees, but some of their coaches are doing it for free. Um, their the sort of hands are tied behind their back almost relative to some of the countries they're competing against. And I mean, it strikes a chord with me, someone probably covers, say, League of Ireland. And you, you, I'm in Hungary last week, sort of watching Shamrock Rovers trying to go and compete with these forces. And you're, we have such a focus of naturally at times in this country, and everyone's a part of it, media is a part of it, everyone's complicit in it to some degree. Like you have this focus on the, the, the major sports that, that sort of sustain our news cycle for, for so much of the year. And yet, um, there are athlete, athletes there performing to a pretty high level. Who, who clearly feel rightly that, that their performance is the time to maybe make a little bit of noise and say, well, if we had a little bit more to work with here, just think what we could do. The other thing I think that um, is interesting is that they, they all, it seems like oh, the vast majority of them have made themselves available before and afterwards for all the interviews and they're talking about themselves and they're talking about their sport and they're, they're excellent ambassadors. So whatever it is that... Um, whoever has set the tone for that. Like, Kieran McGee is always available. Whenever you want to talk to her, she's always available. And we talked to her after the Commonwealth Games and we talked to her, she'll be on again later on in the week. And, uh, like, the, the current crop of ambassadors that they have have all got their own different backstories, which, like, in athletics, when you're a sole trader like that, you have to overcome adversity again and again. Anytime you get injured, you're not really able to uh, generate funding or win races or 
improve and they all have that in their in their locker and they're all able to talk about that and they're all also able to um, talk about the, the people and the support network that they have but as you rightly point out most of that support network is doing it on a voluntary or an amateur basis and if you just think about like what good quality coaching does if that coach is actually able then to go on and invest time in developing and get even better all of a sudden that's a force multiplier because they can coach more of these athletes and explain to more people this is what I do with this athlete over here who you've just seen on TV representing Ireland and reaching a, a final or setting a personal best and I don't know it feels like um, there's a few blockages in that system that uh, could fairly easily be sorted out so definitely in the green this week yeah yeah for sure yeah no, and, that, and that, that they have to win their way into the news cycle sometimes you know and that's why it's right when you're doing well to make a little bit of noise as much as some people would just like to enjoy the moment they know there's a bigger picture behind it I think as well Shamrock Rovers in the green is the league title done and dusted? Pretty much yeah I was in Tala last night for the game against Dundalk and like, I was in Hungary during the week where they were sort of turned over by Farron Farris comfortably enough on Thursday and you're thinking this is going to be dangerous for them on the Sunday um, against Dundalk if Dundalk had won last night they'd be a point behind um, and Rovers are heading into a situation where Kind of playing this Thursday, the second leg, maybe not the most important game, but they're playing six more Thursdays in a really congested sort of uh, club football schedule. And that would mean six Thursdays means they're going to play six games on Sundays, two games a week. Um, they could be vulnerable. Um, but that win last night, I mean, they didn't have a huge amount of the ball. I think they had like 30-something percent possession, but they won 3-0 because they just clinically executed a game plan. And as Stephen Bradley said afterwards, they, they, they want a little bit of a breathing space going into these because they want to they give this Conference League a real go. Um, and if you have to stress in the back of your mind um, that you could lose your title, which is... The champions route is what allows them to effectively get into that conference league because you get way more chances as a champion in Europe. You can afford to lose and you get through back doors and you know you get to where you want to be and get that money. Like the whole this idea of their dominance really the starting point has to be winning their league every year. So if a European run cost them winning the league, there's they're sort of back to to sort of not back to square one but certainly not a million miles from it so like I think I think I heard you speak about a couple of weeks ago when they got through or whatever it's it's not a case that they get in to a group stage football and straight away everything is perfect and they're going to be hit the ground running and like it's part of like this year and then you get back again next year and, and you try and get back again next year and, and it, it's going to take time but the whole underpinning it is winning their league and the fact that they've managed to win that game last night it makes it a good week for them, even if it didn't go their way in Hungary. It feels like the difference this time is that the architecture and apparatus around the club is much more developed than it was whenever any of the other clubs have made runs like this in the past, even Dundalk under Stephen Kenny yeah. and Rovers when they were there the first time. like uh, They were brilliant achievements, but they were certainly uh, of that moment as opposed to this is now kind of... This is the top of a, a pyramid at Rovers where it looks like... I'm sure everything's not perfect, but their their youth system is producing players uh, that they're unfortunately sometimes losing to uh, League One, as we've seen. And they're also able to buy the best young players in Ireland, not to um, yeah. not to gloss over that either. But that actually, if if they get into the uh, group stages this year, it's not it's not a fluke. It's not like a mad oh look where we are. It's like well that's what we expect. That's our new base camp. 
Yeah, it's, it's not like previous teams, I think it was a story, like a brilliant manager and a group of players executing something. And like part of the coverage is, isn't it amazing they've done this? Like I think Shamrock Rovers, the first time they got in the group stages, they were training, I think, in the AUL or just in the process of like moving towards um, Talad, actually not even training in the area. Whereas now they have like, you know, hundreds of kids up there. Um, you're right, like, during the week in Hungary, they brought on two 17-year-olds in the second half. Uh, Justin Ferrazai and Gideon Tede and they may well be sold like you know at a very young age but did, did they have a couple of players gone overseas not just Bazunu who's, who's made what over three million quid for the club um, subsequently but they have a couple of others like Sinclair Armstrong or QPR and a few others that are going to probably earn money for them in the coming years and people at Rovers would make the point that actually and, and other, people at other clubs as well would be quick to tell you that some of the better players they have at the moment, say 16, 17, they were taken from other clubs at a particular stage. But they do have their first generation of Rovers players coming to the boil now, as in ones who were there from 8, 9. And they have this transition year programme, which is sort of a full-time football programme that they're going to have more kids going on. And you're right, like there's something beneath the bonnet that sort of um, that that's going to make it a little bit more sustainable. And in a couple of years' time. I mean, their first team at the moment is still very experienced, recruited from elsewhere. Other people will rightly point that out. But I think you're going to see a little bit more of a gradual introduction of their own players and a little bit more control over their own destiny rather than being vulnerable to, say, one bad year screwing you, which was always the the danger for an an Irish club. I I think they're, they're sort of moving beyond that point to a level where they can almost probably withstand that bad year and that in itself is like a it's a weird measure of progress but it is one that is, is relevant can I ask um, and not to I mean we could spend an hour on this now but yeah. uh, is, is what they've done copyable by Derry for example or anybody else who has that level of owner who would have the money and the ability to soak up some, some short term pain knowing full well that actually there is an industry now if you actually can harvest the best young players and sell them to England and that will give you that sustainability for the down years when the team doesn't actually win the league or qualify for group stages in Europe that actually you can't have a 10 year plan because this is the fruition of 10 years of thinking really at Rovers yeah I, it is a copy but it's it, like it is a good question I mean like Derry is a weird example because they're not actually subject to the Brexit stuff over there so they had a their 16 year old Trent Coney Doherty is an exceptionally talent build against he went to Liverpool as a 16-year-old, as he can, under sort of the, the old rules. But I think the broader point is, I think people are getting around their heads on, no, it's really important to like have a training ground. You know, like, let's have a training ground. I mean, it doesn't sound like the most original thought, but I mean, if you're hiring training facilities, you know, and sharing them with like a Leinster Senior League club or something like that, like, how do you actually build a club? Like, you're all, your team is always going to be the jerseys and the manager and, and stuff that's pretty transient. And... Other clubs are trying to do it, but this, the funding piece obviously becomes particularly relevant here. Um, and this is why like, I would be aware that, that anything that's that's going on as regards, say, discussion for like third level or sorry, third party support, like, this is the area they're going to put it into. I think it's going to be the academies. But you're right; like it takes a long period of time. Um, Brexit has provided this opportunity, but there's a there's a little parallel here with the athletic situation. Like we are looking for control of we are taking control of a degree of youth production here, yeah. and yet we have coaches doing it for free, yeah. volunteers doing it for free. Like that that catches up with you over a period of time. But it's always worth talking about, right? Yeah. 
If you want to get in touch this morning, 087-9-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. OTBAM is live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. That is this week's performance rankings. If you want to get into them, you can uh, just get onto Instagram and uh, you can be in with a chance of winning a Gillette Labs starter pack. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.